0: My pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show. Our mission is to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. One way we do that is through our websites. Clark.com is where you can go for unbiased advice before you make a money move and learn about things like your credit score, streaming TV, insurance, cell phone service, credit cards, cars, etc. I am so So proud of our Clark team. Also, we have clarkdeals.com, where we find the best deals for you around the web when you're shopping. It's not just a catalog of deals. They're deals that we believe are real and good for your wallet. Today, though, I'm going to talk about something that's not a deal, being ripped off on a 529 college savings plan. It's something that makes my blood boil. Later, I want to talk about the jobs of the future and what careers may not be the best to get into right now. So 529 plans are getting better and better and better. And the what makes them better? The simplicity of investing in one and the costs of investing in one. And it's not every 529 plan. There are two flavors of 529 plans. Ones that are what are known as direct sold, where you buy them without a commission salesperson, and then those that are complete ripoffs that are sold by commission salespeople. And so with one of the commission plans, typically you'll end up with less money by the time a kid goes to college than what you put into it because of the massive fees and commissions and expenses that they pile one on top of another on top of another in a plan. And what I've said to you is you don't ever want to buy a 529 plan from a bank or from a full commission stock brokerage. You want to buy these plans direct through the state link. And so it used to be that the dominant plans were the ripoff plans pushed by the banks and the brokerages. But over time, people learned, hey, wait a minute, I'm going backwards here, being in this crummy plan from a brokerage house or a bank. Well, how about a company that's both, J.P. Morgan Chase. So they just eliminated the incredible rip-off fees up front in their plans, according to Barons, because you know the market share is moving to the low-cost plans, and J.P. Morgan Chase was charging upfront sales charges what's that mean so let's say you put a dollar in for your kid immediately you lose a portion of that dollar to commissions raked off by jp morgan chase now they are the biggest bank in the united states one of the biggest full commission brokerage houses in the united states and they were doing something where for every dollar you put in, they would take five cents and just eat it up. And so they'd be smiling at you, and your dollar became 95 cents. So you were behind before you started, and then ongoing, you'd pay huge fees investing with them. Well, now they've eliminated the upfront, but they're still charging high fees. And they're charging a hideous, hideous, disgusting fee called a 12B1 charge. 12B1 charge is a fee you pay just for breathing being a customer of Morgan Chase. This is how we show our appreciation to you is we charge you a, just a made-up junk fee that in the code is called a 12B1. So... What does this mean to you? It's yet another example that you don't ever, ever, not ever, want to invest in a 529 plan for your kid's future any other way but with what's known as a direct sold plan. In our newly updated ratings at Clark.com on 529 plans, I only show you direct sold plans. I won't waste your time for a minute with one of these garbage plans sold by some kind of commission outfit that harms your child's financial future and how they're going to be able to pay for college. So know this and if you have a relationship at a brokerage or at a bank. And the person who's your representative starts pitching their 529 plan. If you want to use them for other stuff, that's your choice. But never, 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 not ever use them for a 529 plan. Because let me tell you, you will be feed to death. Krista?
1: This question is from Adam in Florida. I love your show, and you are the reason both of my children have a 529 plan. My question is about your updated dean's list. We've had money in the Utah plan for many years, but now you have added Florida to that list, and we live in Florida. Should I transfer the money from Utah to Florida? I don't believe there are any tax benefits for Florida residents in buying the Florida plan.
0: Yeah, Adam, this is a keep it simple situation. Just keep depositing money for your kids in the Utah plan. Utah plan from very early has been either the best or one of the best 529 plans in the United States. It remains a superior offering. And since there is no state income tax in Florida and no state tax benefit to doing the Florida plan, just keep doing Utah as you're doing.
1: This is from Chris in Georgia. My son has graduated from law school with a $63,000 student debt. I have $700,000 in retirement. I'm on social security, working full time and have no bills. I want to pay the debt and allow my son to repay me interest free and avoid paying the high interest rates for long term repayment to the loan company. Is there a better alternative?
0: Well, Chris, first of all, it's really great that you want to do this for your son and your son has graduated from law school with actually very little law school debt compared to what I hear from so many other people. Um, if he gets a good job as a lawyer, 63000 will not be a big burden on him. The thing I want to make sure is that this you absorbing this will not impact your overall financial well-being if that's true then the second question is what would you do if your son maybe doesn't get around to paying you regularly and I'm stepping into family dynamics here Chris you know your son you know how he handles money Um, if it will not hurt you financially and you think he will really appreciate and honor you're converting the debt into 0% interest, I think this is great.
1: This is from Lisa in Washington. I've been using Zelle for years now, and I'm freaked out. Is Apple Pay a safe alternative?
0: Yeah, Apple Pay, it's a different kind of tool, but Apple Pay is a uh, well-thought-out, safe alternative, and there are certain aspects to Apple Pay and Google Pay, or GPay as they call it, that make them a safer platform to pay things than even pulling plastic out of your wallet to pay for things.
1: And another related question from Sean in Wisconsin. Clark, you said there's no legal protection if your bank account is hacked and the hacker transfers money from your bank account into Zelle and then transfers it to himself. Are you sure, per cybersecurity journalist Bob Sullivan, in this situation, consumers have rights under the Electronic Funds Transfer Act, Granted, it may take time and fighting with the bank to get it back, but ultimately the law is on your side, right?
0: So, Sean, this is an interesting development that um, the people that operate Zelle, uh, according to Bob Sullivan, the people who operate Zelle have now put in writing that, in spite of the fact that banks refuse to cover instances of hacks, that The law does require that your money be restored. Um, This is a great development, and I want to differentiate here. If somebody defrauds you into paying them by Zelle, and they turn out to be a crook or a con artist or whatever, there's no protections for you at all. Uh, If somebody promises they're going to send you something and they don't, there's no protection with Zelle, that exists if you paid somebody with a credit card. On the other hand, if somebody hacks into your account, it does appear that those transactions should be covered by the Electronic Funds Transfer Act, and it will require really being aggressive on your part to get the bank to follow the law. And I want to thank Bob Sullivan for the research he's done and the advocacy he's done because of the terrible problems that exist with the Zelle app. Oh, by the way, one of the things that Bob Sullivan talks about is something I've talked about frequently. It's that the unethical behavior of so many banks activating Zelle in your bank account with you not knowing it's there and not having signed up for it And then if somebody gets in and steals money saying, ah, well, not our problem, this is terrible behavior on the part of the banks. So let's talk about something positive. What are the careers that make real sense for the future? And if you want to make some extra money, there has never been a holiday period with pay offers being dangled before people like there are for this upcoming holiday season. You know, jobs always go through a rotation. And the best stats I've heard, and there are different numbers depending on a time period, but generally the jobs that will exist 20 years from now, 70% of them don't exist today. And it's one of those things that the market Never stops reforming itself. I want to share with you a list of the hottest jobs for the rest of this decade. And it's funny when you hear this, because this is something you just would not imagine. This list was put together by Visual Capitalist. Okay, number one job moving forward the rest of this decade, being a wind turbine service technician. I mean, come on. I remember we talked about one of these lists years ago, and the number one job at that time was being a web developer. And I was laughing at the time because if you had Looked at a list 10 years before, and you'd said web developer, people would want to know what that meant with like a spider web or something. There was no such term when that became the top job. But now with the massive installation of wind and solar, wind technicians, number one increasing job in the United States, and solar technicians, number three job in the United States, in terms of growth of the job moving forward. If you're curious, the wind turbine technicians make more money than the solar technicians. And I think it's because most jobs with solar now are installing solar on the ground where the wind turbines, just looking up at them is unreal. And my son was watching some video about difficult jobs or something some there's some like series that he was watching on youtube oh, it was dirty sh-
1: jobs maybe
0: i don't know Mike dirty Rowe? jobs i don't know and it was showing what's involved being 50 stories up in the air or whatever you are on a wind turbine well, i'm not doing that but anyway those are the number one and number three fastest growing job categories in the u.s number two being a nurse practitioner You know, I've been obsessed with NPs and PAs because the market failure of medical schools has led to people coming out of medical school not wanting to be in primary care medicine or pediatrics. And so we have this enormous shortage that is only going to be filled by uh, physician assistants and nurse practitioners. Uh, Fourth, is the thing you never want to tell somebody you are at a party. Statisticians. Fourth fastest growing job category. That'll get you a yawn in a hurry. Um, being a physical therapist. Information security. That's not a surprise with all the hackers and stuff. Um, the lowest paying job on the list, but one of the fastest growing is being a home health or personal care aide. The pay is extremely low. The number additional that will be needed in the profession for this decade's out, a million plus people, and the average pay is 27000 a year. There is a disconnect there between the need in the market and the pay being offered. Um, health services managers... Also on the list, they make the second highest pay level of anything after PAs and nurse practitioners. And PAs are on the list too, by the way, I forgot to say. And then finally, data scientists, very high paying job and on the list. All these job categories have very high fast growth. Then there are a number of others where the number of jobs keeps going down and down and down. And it's a normal cycle to have this happen with employment. It's brutal for the people who do something, it's what they do, it's what they love doing, and have the industry go through decline. And you have to reinvent yourself. You know, I go through this with so many of my friends who work in radio or television, is both industries are in decline for news and television and just any job in radio. And I always go through this conversation about how do you use the skills you have another way? And that's the great invention we have to do. You don't want to be waiting for the train wreck. You want to be able to depart the train before the wreck happens. And so if you're in an industry that is in decline, you don't wait for the time that you're called in when you're said, hey, hey, you got a moment? Come on in. Then there's somebody from HR there, and you know what's about to happen. You want to move on when you're in control rather than when it's passed too late. Krista? This is from John of Wisconsin. Oh, I'm sorry. John in Wisconsin, give me one second. I forgot to mention. Yep. the The – Jobs this Christmas season, There are the largest number of jobs that employers are hiring for at the highest hourly rates we have ever seen. And whether John or anybody else would benefit from some part-time work, this is your year.
1: So John is in Wisconsin and says, now that I am listening to podcasts rather than radio, I am reaching the 16 gigabyte limit of my trusty LG Aristo, which I bought on installments from T-Mobile and was apparently made for beginners. Where is a good place to find a replacement phone if I do not intend to switch carriers?
0: So John, um, the, the cell phone carriers offer some very, very basic units that they can buy really cheaply. Uh, maybe $100 wholesale. And those are going to be really for people doing very, very simple things, texting, calling, and the lightest of use on the data side. And so you really want to think about looking at another phone. And since you're with T-Mobile, they may have a phone that They're offering a deal on right now, which would be great for you. If you want to keep the price really low, look at their website for reconditioned phones. They do so many promotions with trade-ins. You may find a great deal on a recon. But if you don't, the phone that I would recommend is the OnePlus Nord series. OnePlus is a little-known cell phone brand. And the Nord's, the NORD series of phones, are very, very affordable and seem to have very good capabilities at about $200 for one of the phones.
1: From Greg in California, I have money with Charles Schwab and Fidelity. I have the bulk of my retirement in four different accounts with Fidelity, an IRA, a Roth, spousal Roth, and 401k. Are these accounts insured? If so, up to what limits? Should I be worried about nearly all of my money with one company? My Schwab account is for me to play the stock market. It's not retirement money.
0: So when you have a brokerage account, you're insured by something called SIPC, which is not at all like FDIC insurance. And you're insured against insolvency, of the brokerage you're with. But when you have investments like you do at Fidelity, each investment, each thing you're invested in, the funds you're in, the ETFs, whatever you're in, they stand on their own and they are not at risk in the event that a big player went insolvent. The truth is, is that Fidelity Investments, Vanguard and Schwab, are so big now they pretty much are under the too-big-to-fail rule anyway. There is no, if you looked at government documents, you wouldn't see something called the too-big-to-fail rule, but they are essentially it. And there's not any activity that any of the three of them could engage in that you should worry about your accounts at Fidelity. But SIPC is there to cover any, essentially any cash you would have inside an account at a brokerage because the securities, the mutual funds, index funds, ETFs, they are all essentially when a brokerage fails, just transferred out with no harm, no foul. All your money is safe.
1: And from James in Alabama, thank you for all that you do for us. You are truly fighting the good fight, and we appreciate you. As my grandmother would say, you're a gentleman and a scholar. I have a Roth TSP that I give 8% of my income to every pay period. It equates to about $246 a paycheck. I also have a Vanguard Roth that I give a measly $25 or so to every month. Isn't it true that if you give too much to a Roth, there are penalties? How do I know when I'm contributing too much to my Roth? I've tried to find this answer and have had no luck getting clarity. My goal is to eventually work up to contributing 15% of my income into the Roth. FYI, contributing 5% gives me a 4% match from the federal government, so I'm good there.
0: So, James, um, great that you're saving effectively 9% of your pay through your federal employment. You're saving another, see, what percent would that be? You're saving not quite 1% of your pay in the Roth IRA. But don't say measly. You're putting money aside that could have just gone into the ether of your life. So let's talk about this. You're allowed to put in a Roth up to $6,000 a year. Unless you're 50 and over, you're allowed to do $7,000 a year. So you're a long way from that. You can't do it. In terms of a percent of your pay, it's just that's the cap. However, since you have access to a TSP, the TSP is awesome. Has the lowest cost of just about any retirement plan anywhere. Well, it does have the lowest cost of any retirement plan anywhere. And so there's nothing wrong with you. Instead of increasing your contributions to the Vanguard Roth, you instead increase the amount you're putting into your Roth TSP. The Roth TSP gives you a lot of flexibility in retirement. And for people who don't know what a TSP is, it is the thrift savings plan that is available to the men and women of the U.S. military and civilian employees of the U.S. government. And it is a vastly superior retirement plan to the 401ks most of us have or the 403bs that sadly some of us have and I want to tell you I truly appreciate each person who listens to this podcast and I hope that you enjoyed this episode and have a great rest of your day